0: Coming up today on The Story.
1: High school in particular, start of year seven was when I really felt it. I realised that, okay, I'm nothing like any of these people. And I went through a lot of time where I had severe depression and anxiety and I felt like I didn't need to be here anymore. Just because I felt that the world that I was in wasn't created for someone like me.
0: The The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, our guest today, Chloe Hayden, has learned a valuable life lesson that can be best summed up by the phrase, different, not less. You see, all of Chloe's life, she knew she was different, and she was beginning to believe the lie that she was somehow of less value than everyone else. But nothing could have been further from the truth. Today, we're going to hear Chloe's story and how she was eventually diagnosed with Asperger's Syndrome, a term that she likes to shorten to simply Aspie. This explains the name of her website, Princess Aspian. Also joining us today is Chloe's mother, Sarah, who will provide us a parent's perspective. They're both having a chat with Eric Scatterbow. Chloe and Sarah, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us.
3: Glad to have you with us. And I should say that Chloe is here with me in the studio. And Sarah is joining us via the telephone from her office in Geelong, where she is a social worker specializing in autism. So, Sarah, this is part of your everyday life explaining what autism is all about
2: it is absolutely so yes both in my home and work life um, you could say that autism is yeah in my life 24-7
3: okay and I think we should start off uh, defining some terms here if somebody had never heard of Asperger's syndrome or autism spectrum disorder how would you explain it to them
2: uh, well, I guess the basic definition of autism is that it's a developmental disorder characterised by difficulties with social interaction and communication with restricted and often repetitive behaviours. Um, Asperger's is on the autism spectrum, but has up until recently been defined as its own sort of criteria. Nowadays, we tend to label it as ASD level 1, 2 or 3. Um, level 1 is what is used to be called Asperger's, is now ASD level 1. And it means that the person with autism has usually got a normal to high IQ, um, often very good language skills, but they really still struggle with their communication difficulties and and things like social skills. Um, Whereas somebody with a a level three autism diagnosis would require substantial support and often have very severe deficits in verbal and nonverbal social and communication skills and often has enormous difficulties in their actions.
3: Okay, so when you hear somebody say, oh, they're on the spectrum, so it could be from very severe on one side of the spectrum to slightly noticeable, is that how you put it on the other side, or how would you characterize the other side of the spectrum?
2: Exactly right, Eric. So, yeah, it's a spectrum because it is vastly different from one person to the next, and Mm -hmm. I guess that's… one of the difficulties in the change of calling it ASD Level 1, 2 or 3 or just saying it's on the spectrum I think um, and Chloe can certainly add to this herself because she's the one that, that has Asperger's or Autism Level 1 um, is that there used to be a very definitive difference when you say that you have Asperger's. Um, I guess for that person it's it's a lot clearer in what they struggle with uh, and what they don't struggle with. So it's, um, yeah, so it's now sort of changed from the Asperger's to ASD Level 1.
3: Okay, and it's one thing to read a dictionary definition or hear the clinical definition, but it's another thing to experience it yourself. Chloe, when you talk to people, how do you usually tell them what it is?
1: I think, well, the thing is Asperger's is going to be different for everyone. Mm -hmm. Just like every neurotypical person is different, everyone on the spectrum is different. But the way that I found best describes it in a way that I feel like most people that are on the spectrum can relate to is it feels like you've crash landed on this alien planet. Oh, this planet. Oh, is that right? Yeah, well, it's like, that's kind of the way I describe it, mostly to kids, but I've explained it to adults too, and they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But the way I describe it is, it's like you've crashed out on this alien planet, and it looks a lot like your home planet, but there's a lot of differences which only you seem to be able to see. So, oh, wow.
3: Um, yeah, so What's if, an example of one? Okay,
1: so things like um, the lights on this planet are really noisy and very bright, whereas everyone else sees them as, you know, quite dull or quite normal. Um, people interact in ways which don't necessarily make a lot of sense Um, and they say things they don't mean like metaphors um, like it's raining cats and dogs Um,
3: yeah yeah tell us about that so you were like 12 years old yeah and your mother (laughs) said it's raining cats and dogs how did you respond
1: Um, I went outside genuinely expecting to see cats and dogs because if someone says something is real I'm going to believe it's real because that's that's what words mean Um, so are
3: you saying that a lot of people who have lot, Asperger's yes. don't do metaphors. Is that no, what you're saying? No,
1: metaphors, sarcasm. There's like a whole book. I don't remember what it's called, but there's a whole book I saw a while ago. And it was these are what metaphors are. And this is what the actual meaning is to like help people on the spectrum to, you know, oh, wow. get the gist. Um, but yeah, like I remember, like, mum said oh, it was raining cats and dogs outside. Genuinely expected to see cats and dogs outside. Didn't. Was really disappointed. Was really upset because I thought I had been lied to. But it was a <laughs> metaphor. So
2: that do, would be one of the examples.
3: Do you remember this, Sarah?
2: Absolutely. It's one of many examples in our (laughs) life.
3: Oh, now we're going to talk about more of Chloe's journey. But first, let's go back to finding out about your family background in general.
2: Yeah, sure. So um, I myself grew up in a non-Christian home. Uh, At the age of 20, I fell in love with a non-practicing Irish Catholic would be the best way that I could explain Mm. my husband's faith, I suppose. Mm. He was very much a go-to-Catholic church-at-Christmas-and-Easter type of person, and I would just tag along with him, I guess, as a duty of (laughs) his wife over Mm. the years. Uh, Never really thought much of it and didn't really have much interest in faith at all. Um, I, I didn't really participate in it but i was happy to go along um, happy to get the children baptized catholics when they were young but again it, it didn't mean anything to me i never knew anything about you know god or the bible or christianity or had any interest whatsoever in mm-hmm. finding out about that religion you know for me it was just non-existent
3: okay um, then how did that change
2: so we i guess um started off with having chloe we were quite young uh, in our early 20s i was told that i would possibly never have children due to a couple of medical conditions that i had and so we were blessed to have chloe not long after we were married and it was in those first few years of marriage that chloe was a she was what we used to call a quirky little genius. She was our first child and we didn't really know any different, but Mm. she wasn't always the easiest child. Um, My husband was working ridiculously long hours, often away from home. And we sort of found ourselves often wondering if this was what, you know, what family life was going to be like and, and was there anything else? And there was a period a few years uh, into our marriage when my husband was offered a, a job quite a few hours from home and, we decided to take it and sort of pack up our family and and move actually down to Portland on the southwest coast of Victoria and it was funny because i had been searching and struggling for a while for i guess looking for a faith i'd sort of started looking at things like buddhism and Um, all sorts of other things knowing that there was something out there but I wasn't quite sure what it was and I Mm -hmm. hadn't really been speaking to my husband much because I was very much on my own journey and it was um, actually the very week that we moved down to Portland and I Opened up their local paper one day and announced to my husband that I thought that we should go to church and he was surprised because it was neither Christmas nor Easter <laughs> and I was suggesting <laughs> going to hey, This is something different. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, the first thing he said to me was, "We'll find out where the local Catholic church is." And I actually said to him, "No, no, I, I just want to well, just want to go to a church." And he was a bit confused and unsure as to what exactly that meant. And we found an ad for what was advertised as a community church. And we thought, well, that sounds interesting. um you know, let's go along to that, so you know, looking back on reflection, I cannot put it down to anything except for God, obviously was moving mm. very strongly in my life because yeah. up until then, I'd never had any desire to seek out a church. I'd never looked in the paper to try and find a church, and I still am not quite sure except for the fact that it was definitely God um, as to what led us there. So my husband, I think, was intrigued that I was suggesting it and was quite happy to go along. And so 10 o'clock on the Sunday morning, I think um, Chloe reminded me this morning that the actual reason that we chose that one church, out of all of the other ads in the local paper, was that it started the latest at 10 o'clock. Very spiritual. Very <laughs> spiritual. Very spiritual. And at that time with three you know, three children, we thought, oh, it's not too early a time to, um, you know, to get up and find a church. And I also liked the fact that it was advertised as a community church. I wasn't mm-hmm. even sure what that meant, but it sounded yeah. nice. Yeah. And we'd just moved to the area, so I thought, well, it's a nice way probably to meet people. And... Lo and behold, a couple of days later, we found ourselves in a community church at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning and um, our kids were as confused as my husband was as to what we were doing in church when it wasn't a, <laughs> a holy celebration and so there was no reason to be going there. Huh. Um, but very quickly and powerfully, within within weeks of both my husband and myself and the kids going there, we were, I guess the only way you can say it without sounding corny is, is we were all powerfully saved. Um wow. So, yeah, it's quite a strange journey to Christianity. I like to explain it, that there was a God-shaped void in my heart, and we were looking for that to be filled, and and it wasn't going to be filled until we found exactly that.
3: And your husband became a Christian as well?
2: Absolutely. So within weeks... um, we were both uh, water baptised. Um, he even looked. Wow, back you guys are, often...
3: weren't messing around. You went.
2: No, we weren't. Not the whole <laughs> family. Um, he looks back now, and even he says that you know God must have put blinkers on his eyes because, as a as a non-practising Irish Catholic, he said that he never would have stepped foot into you know, the kind of church that we actually turned up at. Um, And then within weeks got, you know, got auto-baptized and were immersed very quickly and very deeply into the church and into the faith and became, you know, servants in the church. You
3: were immersed very deeply, literally and figuratively.
2: Absolutely, we were. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. That is exactly correct. Couldn't pass that one up. (laughs) Yeah, and he (laughs) looks back now and sort of says, "Wow, you know, he can't actually believe that that you know he went along with it because if he stopped and thought about it, he wouldn't have."
3: Yeah, yeah. I don't want to give too much away, but at one point he became a lay pastor. Is that right?
2: Exactly right, yes. So he still uh, passionately serves in church, especially in men's ministry Mm -hmm. is where his heart is. Um, He works full-time in a totally different industry, but yeah, serves and and loves the church.
3: Okay, so Chloe, growing up, initially your parents just went to church twice a year. What did you think when they started to all of a sudden go to church?
1: I think, I guess I kind of had the same thing as mom. I was was like 12 when I started going to church, so I, I didn't really have it on the same level, you know, as in the whole I'm searching for something. But I remember growing up, I'd always been almost kind of scared of church and kind of scared of of what religion was. Um, I went to a Catholic primary school and, um, you know, we did like mass every couple of days or whatever at the school. And the teachers there were very... Religious Christians, if that makes sense, that they were the sort of Christians that go, "This is how it is, and you mm. can't be different, and you have to act like this and be like this, and you know, if you if you're not this, we're going to treat you differently."
3: Mm.
1: And uh, one of the schools I went to, I was in, uh, it was in primary school in prep, and we had a a candle that the priest would come in and light, and we could only pray if that candle was being held. So you weren't allowed to pray to Jesus unless you were holding a candle that the that priest right? lit. Yeah, well, it was a bit, you know, um, but. I was holding the candle. It was my turn to pray, and I sneezed on it, and the candle blew out. and <laughs> And I was like, "Oops, silly me!" Like, whatever. And the teacher was horrified and screamed at me and kicked me really? out of the classroom and gave me a detention, saying, "You blew out Jesus Christ! Now no one is able to pray today."
3: Are you serious?
1: Not kidding. Like, not kidding. So, my initial reactions to Jesus was, oh, this guy's pretty scary. I don't know if I want to hang out with him very much. You know, like, I I I sneezed
3: and he went, I sneezed
1: on him and now we're all doomed. So, (laughs) I didn't really, yeah, I was like, oh, don't know. But then I. (laughs) Full-handedly blew out Jesus. Yeah, totally. Um, so.
3: Wow, that is bizarre. Yeah,
1: so, like, yeah, my initial reactions to Christianity was like, oh, this is a bit peculiar. Um, but then when I was 12 and we went to this church, it maybe I liked it. Like there was, we had a cool band there and there was like the bass guitar and the drums and stuff. And I was like, Oh, this is fun. This is cool. I like this. Um, we went to the youth group and I started kind of understanding, you know, what the actual, you know, what actual Jesus was not, you know, blowing out the candle Jesus. <laughs> um, and I was like, Oh, this Jesus sounds like a pretty cool dude. Um I was going through a kind of rough time in my life. Then I was 12. I was going into mm. high school. High school was bad for anyone but when you're on the mm. spectrum and and when you're undiagnosed on the spectrum it's mm. twice as hard and I was just going through a really hard time and I remember we went to a conference like a really big conference maybe about a month after we started going to this church and it was just me and my dad that went together and he was like you know you, you're a kid you can go down to the mosh pit if you want and hang out there and I was like you know what okay that sounds fun and we were doing worship there and I just started balling my eyes out and I've never been that sort of person mm. before. I just started sobbing my heart out and these people came over and prayed for me and it was like the first time that I had like felt Jesus and felt what he was. So you had
3: a, a genuine a, encounter yeah, with God. Yeah, and I've
1: never had that before mm. and I guess I was kind of Going through this kind of phase of going like, okay, I know we're going to church. I know it's fun. I know the people there are cool. I know that we go out jet skiing off after each week. I know it's a fun thing that we do, but what's the point? Yeah, And yeah. it wasn't until I went to that conference and I had that encounter that I was like, it all makes sense now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we had all been like saved before. Like we'd been water baptized and stuff, but I hadn't necessarily like been saved inside. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? You know? Not
3: to this depth. No, it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I like,
1: I didn't feel like I was like, I'm like, okay, I know there's this guy called Jesus and I know that he loves us, but like, what is Jesus? Yeah, and like, I mean, the there's
3: point? one thing knowing something intellectually. Totally. Another thing I just is, didn't feel it inside. And in I'm sort heart. of,
1: yeah. And this mm-hmm. thing, like I'm the sort of person, like I need to feel something, like I need mm-hmm. to emotionally connect to something mm-hmm. to go, this is real. And that first time was, like, the most real thing that I have ever felt.
0: You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scatterbo is chatting with Chloe Hayden, who's a young woman with Asperger's syndrome, who's also an advocate for young people diagnosed with Autism Spectrum Disorder or ASD. Also joining us is her mother, Sarah, who's a social worker specialising in autism. We'll hear more of Chloe's story when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. Our guest today is Chloe Hayden, who's a young woman with Asperger's Syndrome, and she's also an advocate for young people diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Also joining us today via the telephone from her office in Geelong is Chloe's mother, Sarah, who's a social worker specialising in autism. Now, here's more of Chloe's story. Getting back to uh, Chloe's growing
3: up with Asperger's, but obviously you didn't know about it at first. Did you Mm -hmm. notice anything was a bit different?
2: Um, I guess on reflection now, I can, as an experienced parent and also obviously a social worker that works with lots of families with children on the autism spectrum, I can look at it now and go, wow, how did I miss that? Mm. Um, The only thing that makes me feel better about that is my own father is a doctor and my mum is a nurse and even neither of them ever thought anything was different or suggested it so I guess one of the things that's you know especially girls on the spectrum it is not uncommon for them to be diagnosed much later because they're they are very hard to diagnose and they can be very clever at what we call masking Hmm. the symptoms of autism and you know particularly in the Asperger's or you know level one slash higher functioning children with autism it can be quite difficult but yes looking back now you know as I said I was a fairly young mum we I was told that I possibly wouldn't have children. I had suffered severe endometriosis for many years and um, my doctor at the time had said, you know, you're married. I would be trying to have a child if you can while well, you're young because the older you get, the less likely you're going to be. And we were very blessed that we had Chloe, you know, straight away. Mm-hmm. 22 years ago, we were relatively young parents in our early 20s, you know, no previous experience of children. And because she was our first child, we had, I guess, nothing to compare it to. Yeah, And right. um, She was an incredibly sensitive little girl. Um, As I think I said earlier, we used to call her our quirky genius. She was an incredibly intelligent, but also very, very sensitive little girl. When you say sensitive,
3: sensitive like emotionally or how is sensitive?
2: Everything. (laughs) Sensitive emotionally. All of the above. (laughs) So, yeah, she would, I guess, you know, looking right back, I mean, Evan is a very, very young baby, if I put... Any kind of clothing on her that she didn't like, she would scream and try and rip it off. Um, she was incredibly sensitive to certain fabrics, um, to tags, to um, lights, to sounds, to smells. I used to just think she was a fussy baby. She would cry a lot. She wouldn't sleep unless she was either on, on myself or my husband. She was literally attached to us 24-7. So we, slept, we co-slept with her, but it wasn't enough for her just to be in... Between us, she had to be on top of us and then something on top of her. She sort of needed to have um, deep pressure with Mm. her sort of arms wrapped around her, almost like a little, we used to call her a little koala bear, because she'd sort of be wrapped around you and you'd have to be wrapped around her. And if you took your arms off her, she'd start screaming. Um, She was... Incredibly clingy, she was very emotional, but she was also highly intelligent. Where she would very early on read encyclopedias and fact books and wow. liked to, you know, let people know about all of the facts of the, the world. Um, and she really didn't care whether you were interested or not. She was going to share that knowledge, <laughs> that knowledge <laughs> with <changed>. you. <laughs> she was quite, um, quite unable to read you know, social cues, and it really wasn't bothered at all whether you were engaging in conversation with her she would just sit there and reel up these facts that she thought that you would find as remarkable as she did and she really wasn't bothered whether you were engaging in any kind of conversation she would just continue on and to be honest to, to an extent that she's still exactly like that now <laughs>
3: <laughs> but, but seriously that is one of the characteristics of Absolutely. Asperger's looking is, back
2: now <laughs> yes is not I getting often laugh social because- cues <laughs> Exactly right. I often laugh now because obviously in my role, I'm often speaking to families about this exact thing and now I'm always looking at sort of the, I guess what you call the checklist of, you know, autism, especially in, in young girls. And now I sit there and I look at it and I go tick, 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 mm. tick, you know, like every single thing, of course, Chloe had. But I guess because I really didn't know, I mean, I'll be honest with you, the only experience of autism that I had ever had was watching the movie Rain Man. You would have remembered. Yep, yep, of course, yep. Tom Cruise and he was autistic and to me that's what autism was so I didn't know anything about it, um, it wouldn't have even occurred to me that there was you know anything uh, different about our girl or certainly not autism so it, it, it had never come across my personal radar yeah. and I certainly had no knowledge of it whatsoever but yes she was certainly a very um, a very fussy little child and I guess it wasn't until a few years later that her younger sister who's four years younger and incredibly neurotypical <laughs> in other words you know not on the spectrum and um, you know an incredibly social, outgoing, resilient little girl that I started to realize how vastly different Chloe was to her. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Now, Chloe, just growing up, did you feel that you were different or how did you kind of know that, hey, I'm not like the other people?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I think growing up my entire life, I've always felt different. I always felt like the odd one out. Um, like at school, if school in particular, I guess was the main one. Cause all the kids there like acted the same and did the same things and liked the same things and just kind of worked in the same way.
3: But they weren't reading the encyclopedia.
1: Oh no, well, exactly. No, but exa- <laughs> that's exactly it. See, I was the weirdo and like all these kids were the same and growing up like in primary school, that's kind of okay. Like in primary school, you're kind of allowed to be yourself. Mm-hmm. You're kind of allowed to be a little bit quirky, a little bit weird, a little bit individual high school in particular start of year seven was when i really felt it because mm. like Mum said we moved to portland when i was in year seven and that was a very beachy town i went to um the first high school i went to was a private high school where on the beach and they were all surfers and all of the girls had tan skin and blue eyes and long blonde hair all like beautiful barbie dolls and i was none of that um and they all liked the same things they're all like into boys and magazines and jewelry and makeup and clothes mm. and i just wanted to hang out with my horses and care about none of that um I realized that, okay, I'm nothing like any of these people. Mm. Um, and at the start, I was kind of like, oh, you know, that's okay. Because I had a f- I had a home unit. I had a family unit. I had people mm-hmm. who I knew loved me for who yep. I was. Yep. But it starts to wear on you after some time. Mm. And I think even the strongest people are eventually going to be like, I don't fit in. So what's the point? And I went through a lot of time where I had severe depression and anxiety. And I felt like I didn't need to be here anymore. Just because I felt that the world that I was in wasn't created for someone like me.
3: So... Sarah, at this point, do you have any idea what is going on inside of your daughter? Tell us what was happening then for you, too.
2: Uh, Eric, we didn't. I mean, she was was approaching being a teenager. Uh, Things were just getting worse by the day. It didn't matter what we were doing, where Mm. we were searching. It just seemed that things were getting darker and darker, and we just Mm. knew that something was going on. But we had absolutely no idea what it was.
3: Okay. We're going to stop it right there because we've run out of time for this first conversation with Chloe Hayden and her mother, Sarah. At this point, we're hearing that she's undiagnosed and has no idea what's going on and things are getting very bad in her life, but things get much better when she gets diagnosed and she is now helping others. So is it okay if we have Chloe and Sarah have you both back for part two of this conversation? Will that
2: be all right? Absolutely. We would love to be back (laughs) again. Thank you.
0: Well, that was part one of Eric Scadabo's conversation with Chloe Hayden and her mother, Sarah. We invite you to join us again next time for part two of Chloe's amazing story. Chloe's a young woman with Asperger's Syndrome, who's a guest speaker at many schools and events across Australia as an advocate for young people diagnosed with Autism Spectrum Disorder, or ASD. To learn more about Chloe, you can visit her website, princessaspian.com. Dot com. That's Princess Aspian A S P I E N dot com. Finally, I want to end today with this verse from the book of Psalms that's a good reminder of how we are all precious in God's sight. It comes from Psalm chapter one hundred and thirty nine. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Well, until next time, when we'll hear more of Chloe's inspiring story, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
1: I started to see that, you know, I was different, but I knew that there were other people out there that were different too. And I knew that I wasn't the only one. So I saw no one was being a voice for those people. No one was out there. No one was talking to kids like me saying, hey, this is who you are and Mm -hmm. that's okay. And I realised that no one else was doing it. So maybe it was my job to do it
0: chloe hayden grew up feeling that she was somehow different and didn't fit in she was eventually diagnosed with asperger's syndrome and has gone on to become an advocate for young people diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder we'll hear more of chloe's amazing story next time the story story. just another way vision is connecting faith to life